Welcome to the Gaining Momentum Podcast with your hosts, Abby and Megan. This is the podcast where we try our best to parent our kids for the world we want them to grow up in and the world we live in now. Welcome back to Gaining Momentum. Thanks so much for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed the first part of our episode on race and racism and parenting. We are going to jump right in today to the second part of that discussion. Um, just to note, this this episode was kind of uh, recorded as one big chunk, and then we've broken it into pieces for you to digest um, in, in different parts. Um, so this latter part of the conversation is really focusing on allyship, performative allyship and kind of teasing that out a little bit and also um, talking about dismantling white supremacy and having those conversations in our families and with our kids. So we hope you enjoy and we are looking forward to hearing what you thought of the app. And don't forget to check out our resource list both in our show notes and on our Instagram account. And also we just want to remind people to uh, subscribe and like wherever you can and rate the pod if uh that feels like something you want to do that helps um, us know what you're liking and what's working and what's not. Here we go. Okay. So I'm wondering if you would be open to sharing some of the things that you are thinking about, um, like how you will with your own child approach the subject of race and racism. We've kind of talked a little bit about that, but more specifically, like um, how do you talk about that in your own family with your own child? Sure. Yeah. So we have already talked to our son about race. Well, like not already talked to him. We like have started discussions about race and we talked to him about it a little bit, even just in terms of the microaggressions that he faces, for instance, Mm -hmm. When he was a baby, people would touch his hair a lot um, without asking me, without asking him. They would just come up and touch his hair, which is also in and of itself a form of othering. It's mm-hmm. othering him before he even has the ability to know what that means. But you know when you're different, when people are treating you like you're different. So as he got a little bit older, he loves books. He loves stories. And so... Um, there's this book that we got out of the library called Don't Touch My Hair mm. by Sherry Miller. And so we read that to him and we taught him, if somebody comes up to you and tries to touch your hair, you say, don't touch my hair. Awesome. And we taught him to, if they keep trying, that you yell it as loud as you can. You yell, don't touch my hair, which he really enjoyed practicing. <laughs> like your parents telling you to yell as loud as you can. It's amazing. And and then I think, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to talk to him about othering and just some of the reasoning behind why people treat different groups as other. And I think we'll also, like that comes up too when we're trying to teach him about emotions. Because it's kind of always mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, the stereotypes, you know, of like angry black man. Right. And so when he has like massive tantrums because he's three, I kind of like in my head spin a little bit about like, oh God, what happens if this doesn't get under control by the time he's older? Like, is this going to put him at risk? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just talking about emotions and talking about the importance of communication. Um, and I think also we'll teach him the importance of, of race because it's okay to see color. Nobody's mm-hmm. saying you have, you can't notice that somebody's white, that somebody's Asian, that somebody's black, mm-hmm. that somebody's indigenous. It's okay to see all those things like race in and of itself is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But so we'll teach him that. And we'll teach him also though, that it's not to be used as a, to be weaponized against somebody. And then we'll also talk to him about the ways that, you know, sometimes that will be weaponized against him in the ways that it's been weaponized against me. Mm-hmm. Even just something as simple as when somebody is telling a story and they'll just like randomly drop race into it and it's mm. completely irrelevant detail to the story. Yep. And then, so you get to the end of the story and you're like, oh, cool. So it didn't matter that that guy's from India. Cool, 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 cool. Good story. Yeah. Good story. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I and then like, watching you know, just, people squirm when you're like, yeah. so why was that a relevant detail? Yeah. Oh, so like, or, you know, people are like, oh, I'm just trying to, you know, like paint the picture and put a descriptor. Okay. Mm. But you don't do that when the person's <laughs> white. So then you're just assuming white as the default. And then that's a problem because yeah. just because something is your default doesn't mean that it's the default. Yep. Absolutely. And like, I think so many of the things that you just said, in a perfect world, there's a counterpart happening in families that are families with white kids. So a lot of the things that you just talked about, you know, are things that are going to be spoken of in a specific way in your household for sure, Mm -hmm. but also need to be addressed by parents in um, non-BIPOC families as well. Um, So for example, the piece on the piece that you shared there at the beginning about hair and like, like touching somebody's hair, like that mm-hmm. is something that we have had to have a purposeful discussion about. Um, one of my kids uh, is very touchy-feely and hands-on and, you know, like, ha- does that to his brother. But then if spending time with your son, why is it not okay for you to have your hands all over, um, you know, his hair and his head? Like, that is an okay conversation for us to have. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're not shaming him for, you know, doing it. It's it's a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe sometimes why parents don't is because they maybe a, they don't know it for themselves. So here, mm-hmm. we're here to learn that to start. And, um, B, they don't know they're scared. They're scared. It's going to have a negative impact or something on their own kid, but that's not good enough. It's important mm-hmm. that we're not only prioritizing the needs of our own children. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, yeah, maybe just don't know how to redirect that. But it's not it's not hard. It's just a behavior redirection. First of all, people shouldn't be laying hands on anybody like without permission. Well, that's the thing that's worrisome because a lot of the people who were coming up and touching his hair as a baby were adults. And then that, again, goes back to the safety piece. Like it just often comes back to the safety piece yep. where how do you teach a child boundaries when so many adults are just coming up and not respecting boundaries? And especially like it doesn't happen as much since he's become older, which is also a problem because then people are doing it when he's too little to speak up for himself, which mm-hmm. is a problem as well. Oh, but time. yeah, when he didn't have the words to say no and people would just come up and do it out of nowhere. So it would be before I would have the chance to say no because I wouldn't see it coming. Yeah. And so then that's also a problem where you're taking away the ability to say, yes, you can touch me. No, you can't touch me. Yeah, period. Full stop, right? But then there's this like really important added layer like historic oppression, like anti-racism layer that comes with like the history of um, the black community and hair, right? That's mm-hmm. like an extra mm-hmm. piece to that. Cause I think like people will do that to kids, but like that is so particularly insidious. Like yes, that and particular- people will do that to adults too. Like mm-hmm. uh, I feel like every black woman has had somebody <laughs> want to touch their hair. Yeah. It's almost become like a refrain, like, yes. cause it is such a, and then I'm like, who's still going out there and just grabbing at people's hair? Like, this is yeah. like part of like the cultural lexicon at this point. Like, where are pe- what rocks are people living under that that's, you know, not again, just like, okay to touch somebody, period, without permission, <laughs> but be like, just how loaded it is to like, yeah. be touching a person's hair, especially uh, uh, somebody who's a black person, right? Like, I think a good question to ask yourself and maybe to like teach our kids, are you doing this just because the person is different from you? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, don't do it. Would you do this to someone who looks like you? If the answer is no, don't do it. And in the case of my kid, he probably would have, but it was Mm -hmm. still important for me to be like, this is different and here is why. Yeah. And just, you know, ask like, would your kid asking my kid is a different thing than just like some random grown up coming up and asking my kid because your kid and my kid are friends. Mm -hmm. And so like, they do have a relationship. It's not just some stranger coming up and asking to do that because then, you know, as my son gets older, it will be up to him. He can say yes, he can say no, Mm -hmm. and he can decide if yes, then like he could also, you know, ask follow-up questions or Mm -hmm. ask to touch the other person's hair Mm -hmm. because I also think flipping that around might make people realize how absurd it is totally where you know if you ask come up and like can I touch your hair and if I were to be like can I touch yours Mm -hmm. yeah it's a weird thing guys it's actually just a weird thing in and of itself to want to touch somebody else's hair who you do not know or even if you do know them 
Yeah. And it's like one of many weird little things, right? That require redirection um, and require, first of all, like, again, this is a, it's a privilege not to notice that that's a thing that people are experiencing um, and that it mm-hmm. is like, you know, we talk about microaggressions, but like, these are all just aggressions at the end of the day. Like some of them yeah. look a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but like, I think in the past, like historically, we would have talked about that as a microaggression. Mm-hmm. But like, I've seen a lot of discussion around like removing that term, even like these are all things that contribute to like an oppressive experience moving through life. Um, micro, macro, whatever they have, they add up to have an impact. Um, and if you don't know that they exist, then you need to ask yourself why and why you wouldn't have known that and do mm-hmm. better. Right. And then do better. Mm-hmm. Now, you know. And I also, I think it's important. I'm trying to teach him that like, you can tell someone when you don't like something that they're doing. You can tell somebody when they're making you uncomfortable. You can tell somebody if they're saying something. I mean, he doesn't, he's three. He doesn't have the words necessarily, but in his own way, like I'm trying to teach him that his voice is the most important tool that he has and he should use it any chance that he gets. Absolutely. Yeah. Big time. I think that, you know, across a variety of issues like we'll talk about consent in another episode mm-hmm. but across a variety of topics um race being one of them race and racism where he has the ability to speak up and i'm hoping to continue to teach him to speak up and i'm hoping that um his voice will be his greatest tool but at the same time it's also terrifying right because mm-hmm. You can teach them as much about race and racism as they want to, but I can't control how other people are going to treat him. Yes. And you can't see me right now, but I'm nodding vigorously to that statement. Yeah. And I think like in my case, um, it it is about like speaking up as when we see something that's not just, or when we see somebody who is behaving in a way that's harmful, whether that's racism, whether whether that's like, you know, any other kind of behavior, but it's also about there's another like kind of component with my kids where it's like, yeah, your voice is important. You need to speak up, but sometimes it's not your turn mm-hmm. because the world is going to continue to tell my kids that they're more important mm-hmm. and that their voice is more important. And that's just a reality of white supremacy. And we can talk about that in a moment, but in systems that are built on that, that um, basic fact, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a two parter. It's like using your voice to, um, be a person who is creating safe space and maybe being a helper, but then also your voice is not always the voice that needs to be heard, which is like a and, tricky space. Yeah, it is tricky. And I think also along with your kind of talking about teaching your kids to be allies and use their voice. And that's also something that I'm trying to teach my son as well. Like he needs allies, but I also want him to be an ally. I want him to be able to speak up for other people in the BIPOC community when he sees, you know, when you see something, say something. And I know, I think that's like, what is that? The TSA slogan? (laughs) Co-opt it for now. I think they have a very different intention with their different intention. Good slogan. Maybe a great different intention. Yeah. Meg, I wanted to sure. ask you, can you tell me about your journey in allyship? Ooh, good question. Oh, okay. Um, so if, and also we've been using that term a lot. So I just want to like, when we're talking about allyship, yeah, yeah. we're talking about, um, folks who are not, uh, folks who are BIPOC or white people, uh, supporting and actively working towards dismantling racism and being anti-racist in their day-to-day life. Is there anything you would add to that definition? No, that works. You know, I definitely strive to be a person who is an ally. That doesn't mean that that's always um, perfect or um, easy either. I would say- I just want to interject for a sec. Yeah. And just say being an ally isn't about being perfect and it isn't about things being easy, right? It's about doing the work and then stepping up when the moment comes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would say like my own journey in that process, I think is one of both getting louder and getting quieter, which is like a weird tension. Can you elaborate? Yeah, absolutely. So like, I think as a younger person who is like doing a lot of learning around anti-racism and advocacy and like social justice, you can also, you know, you're taking in all this new information and you're really passionate and you want to like 
be a solution in the world and and do better and be an educator yourself and that's all sort of like well-intentioned but it can also be too loud right especially if you're of like Mm -hmm. a certain identity and so taking up space maybe in particular context where like that wasn't a place for you to be the loudest voice in the room being like a a white woman let's say in like a feminist space um maybe not recognizing when it was time to maybe step back right and not Mm -hmm. um be the loudest person in that space right um so a lot of my learning lately has been like really around stepping back and listen meanwhile I'm here on a podcast like running my mouth but like ultimately (laughs) uh, in partnership and trying to um to just step back and listen and like allow for leadership like allowing for like people of color to lead and especially for me like women of color um to really Mm -hmm. like lead the way and take my cues from folks who have lived experience and that should be at the center of the conversation. So I'm always like working to check myself on that even now, even when I have a feeling like where I'm like, I'm just, I'm trying or whatever, you know, feeling might come up for me when I read something or I'm like getting Mm -hmm. feedback. Like, I think my current learning is really around like, Ooh, what is that feeling? Why is that coming Mm -hmm. up? And not having to articulate the feeling, just take it in and sit in it and be uncomfortable stew in the discomfort. So that's the like quiet, like being more quiet part. Mm -hmm. And the being louder is just being louder with other white people. And that also is like a place of discomfort that it's just like, you gotta get good with it. If you're going to be somebody who fancies yourself an ally, there are going to be tough conversations that you're going to have to have. It doesn't mean that like you need to write off all the white people in your life who are making mistakes. No, no. But it does mean that you need to step up and be a safe person to challenge what maybe those mistakes are. And, you know, like when you hear like somebody say something that's even like, I don't know, like a like a minor thing. It's like not letting it go because it makes that it's going to make it an awkward moment. Right. That's the getting louder. Right. And as a parent, mm-hmm. again, like we talked about earlier, it becomes that much more important to model that. You know, that that's like the expectation as a person of the identity that you are. And because mm-hmm. we hold these core values, sometimes you need to be a person who is going to be a killjoy in the room, <laughs> right? When something is happening that isn't okay. And that is perpetuating these systems that we're working hard to dismantle. And I think that's interesting too, right? Because the person who calls it out is seen as the killjoy as opposed to the person who said it. Yeah. Totally. And what's so funny is I saw another thing recently that was like, let's reclaim, let's reclaim Killjoy as like a badge of honor. (laughs) And I was like, yes, that resonates. I feel like I'm often that person who's like, "Mm," like kind of the Debbie Downer, like, but like, by the way, what you just said there, but, and it's not like an easy place to be, but come on, like, it's the least that someone who's like of my identity can do. And if I'm, you need to like walk the walk if we're talking the talk and that kind of lends itself to this idea of performative allyship versus. I wanted to ask you Mm. what, okay. What does performative allyship mean to you? And how do you think, how do you avoid falling into that? Well, let me first just say that I've definitely done it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it's a learning curve to Mm -hmm. become a, ally in a way that actually supports and helps and I'm not saying I'm even there yet it's just a process it's and I don't think it's one that has an end there's no end point right it's a continuum of learning it's a journey not a destination yeah exactly there you go I think that ultimately performative allyship is when you are saying and maybe like I think performative allyship has definitely taken on a whole new like beast of meaning <laughs> in the social media landscape because that's a I know just post things and don't mean it I know well because it is such a curated space for identity right and so like in this it's really interesting to me it's like weirdly exciting it's like in a one way that folks want to be on the right side of this conversation Mm -hmm. like that okay at least like people are like recognizing like there is a right side of this conversation yes however it's harmful I would argue to perform and not act so if it's not being embodied in your day-to-day life and this again this is not about perfection this is about effort and thinking deeply and 
making mistakes and underst and trying to um, right those mistakes moving forward. And recognizing that there were that there was a mistake made, and that's okay because again, nobody's looking for perfection. Perfection is unattainable. No, absolutely. And the other thing that I think is really important when we talk about like specifically like um, systemic racism is that there is a component of this that needs to be depersonalized. Like not, it has to be deeply personal, but for white folks, I think there's just like this quickness to feel like, like um, you're being vilified or like that you're wrong mm -hmm. or you're bad. You're just a fucking cog in the machine really at the end of the day, right? <laughs> you are a cog that has been programmed with all of the bullshit around you. And this is an, a deprogramming effort. You're not bad. You're not whatever. Like, I think people are honestly a bit narcissistic to think that it's about them. It's about mm -hmm. the systems. And mm -hmm. then it's about how are those systems affecting your behavior in the world? Yes. And are you good with that? And yes. you probably aren't if you really think about it. And as parents, yeah. how are those same systems and those learnings impacting how you do or do not parent? Mm -hmm. And so if you're like somebody who says things out loud about who you think you are and who you want to be as an ally mm -hmm. and as a person that's rooted in justice, it, it just has to be also met with like behavior mm -hmm. and not just uh, words and posting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I'm understanding it in this moment. And, and it's that willingness to put yourself in a place of discomfort if it's required. Yes. Yes. Like I personally, I need to up my ally game um, for the indigenous community. Yeah. I mean, me too, for sure. So when we think about like our marginalized communities across the board, that's really amazing for you to even model that, right? Like we may even feel like we are experiencing, like me as a woman, let's say, I feel like I experience um, certain kinds of marginalization on account of like our structural gender inequities, but mm -hmm. it's about also looking outside of that, right? And like where yeah. else? Yes, I have this experience happening for me, but where else are people experiencing, you know, these oppressive systems and how can I do better? Yes. Exactly. Like we all have work to do. We all nobody's, have work to yeah, do. Yeah, nobody's there wherever there is. We all have work to do. And I think it's just about buckling down and doing the work, whether the work is being an ally for the BIPOC community or the work is talking to your children about race and racism. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, like it's, it's, all, it's all work that needs to be done and it's all important. So we want to take a minute now to do our segment where we do our momentum shout out. Um, and I think Abby has a really interesting experience that happened this <laughs> week that you'd like to share about. And it's kind of a unique shout out because it's, uh, yeah, why don't you, why don't you explain what happened? And then yes, you can I would love to. Um, yes, I am shouting out both parents as well as my own embarrassment. So <laughs> it's a twofer. <laughs> I was out for a walk just enjoying being out on a beautiful sunny day. The birds were singing. I had my headphones in. I was listening to a podcast. I don't even remember which podcast I was listening to. I think it was probably either Thirst World Problems or Jamel Hill is Unbothered because those are the two that I'm like really on all the time right now. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm walking and listening to this podcast. I'm like going so fast. I'm like, yes, I am just like crushing this. And of course, you know, I'm walking, trying to keep two meters apart from everybody. And so I see somebody on one part of the sidewalk and I'm like, oh, I'm going to pass them because I'm a competitive walker sometimes. And so Race walker. I'm, <laughs> I'm walking and I was like, okay, but if I'm going to pass them, I need to go around on this side of a bench that was there so that I can give them like the two meter buffer on my way by. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm like crushing this. And I was like, yeah, even with the two meter buffer and doing like the detour, <laughs> I think I can still pass this person. So I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then I hit a patch of wet mud. So yeah, talking about gaining momentum, uh, all of my momentum was lost in that moment. <laughs> I, I basically like three stooges, old school, like black and white movie, banana peel fell. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, first I was like, oh, I'm going to save this. So, you know, yeah. I like kind of caught the fall and then hit the next step and just like splat like yeah. oh god Legs out arms out phone in the mud like just splat and yeah and I look up and I had fallen immediately <laughs> about like yeah like very close Ooh. well like yeah I've 
right in front of a bench of three tweens. Oh, the worst yeah. people to fall in front yeah, of. It was, it was awkward. <laughs> I was definitely embarrassed. Um, tweens. I'm afraid had, of tweens, just I for the record. Too, guys. I kind of am too. Not teens, tweens. Tweens. Yeah, mm-hmm. so tweens, like these kids were like 11 or 12. I'll say mm-hmm. 10 to 12. And sitting on the bench, there are three of them hanging out, chatting. And before I had a chance to fully register my embarrassment, they mm-hmm. immediately jumped up. And the first words out of their mouth were not a laugh, but are you okay? And do you need help? Hmm. I it just warmed my heart. There's I mean, good in the world. There's good. <laughs> they didn't laugh, and I totally think they would have been well within their rights to just laugh their butts off at me. Mm-hmm. But no, their first instinct was to ask, like, to show concern and to mm-hmm. ask if there was a way that they could help. And so I wanted to shout out those tweens' parents because yeah. that comes from somewhere. And totally. so shout out to those tweens' parents who knew that if somebody's hurt in front of you. Don't laugh immediately, ask for help, and then mm-hmm. wait for them to walk away before you laugh. Yeah. What an, an amazing reflection of kids that have learned empathy. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. So huge shout out to those parents. And sometimes I feel like the place where we... Like it can all feel really big and overwhelming. Let's just Mm -hmm. acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. It can feel so much bigger. And when I talk about systems and the machine and we're cogs, like maybe that doesn't feel very empowering. But I think what is empowering is that in our own little microcosms, we all have like a tremendous amount of power to turn out human beings who think and see the world in a different way. Yes. And who are going to learn skills, behaviors, um, you know, like things that maybe we didn't all get. And that has like a wild amount of power to change how we function. Yes. And so I, when I'm talking to even friends, like across the board, I, all identity spectrums feeling very like sort of overwhelmed and like dejected and hopeless because this stuff mm-hmm. is so deep and it is so. I mean, I can associate with those feelings. I have been there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I have like, lived there. Absolutely. It's so historic. It feels so big. It feels so much bigger than us at a lot of the t- a lot of the time. But like it's at the atom level or what like microscopic level that we see like a change, right? Yes. So that's probably a really poor scientific metaphor, but <laughs> I think think you might be looking for the word molecular, but yes. I'm not positive. Molecular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. But that's what I mean, right? Like we can change our cellular. Ce- yeah, cellular. We can change we our we can change our cells and then we change the beast, right? Mm-hmm. And parents have a wild amount of power to do that in their own homes. It's yes. What and we that's do at the home. thing. Start with your tiny humans that you have at home. Totally. And like again, I think I said this in our first episode, but an uncomfortable conversation, the more you have it, it stops being uncomfortable and it's just a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so talk, the more you talk about it, the more of a confidence and a skill level and an ability that you'll feel to be able to engage in these quote unquote tough conversations mm-hmm. so that they're just, it's just you talking to your kid really at the end of the day, it's just you talking to your kid. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of that, what, um, can I ask you another question? Yeah. I just want to build on that for a second. What do you wish that like white parents were saying or doing with their kids at home that you think when we talk about some of those experiences that you're fearful about or that you've even observed or are thinking about for your own child, like would support preventing that or like disrupting that like I said earlier it's okay to see color seeing color and seeing race is not a bad thing I mean I'm not upset that I'm black I'm upset about the way that I'm treated because I'm black Mm -hmm. and I'm upset about the way that my son will be treated because he's black and so I think just talking to kids about race honestly just like representation Mm -hmm. so even if you live in a community that's predominantly white, that doesn't mean that everything that your child sees in your home needs to reflect that. Yeah, absolutely. Your home is your child's world Mm -hmm. is their first kind of glimpse of the world. And so like you have the power to show them what diversity looks like through the books that you read to them through the dolls and the toys that you buy for them through the games that you play through the food that you eat through the music you listen to through the movies that you watch through the tv shows that you watch like there are so many different things that seem small and inconsequential but add up to a lot because 
when what's to be other is normalized, then there is no other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful sentence. Thank you. Did you just make that up? <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's almost like you're a writer. <laughs> yeah, something's, but, yeah. Like, something's only other if it's othered, right? Yeah, and so I don't know. Like, I just, I guess I wish because... Like, I know I said my family, like, we didn't sit around the dinner table talking about race, but it's like, we were never exempt from discussions of race, like, you know, from, because of our lived experiences. And Absolutely. so whether it was like a deliberate conversation about race or like coming home and telling my mom what happened at that birthday party when I was called the N word, mm-hmm. or like, you know, that time I was walking home from a friend's house and I ran into a kid who stopped and was like, what the heck is that? A walking chocolate bar. Like oh, these Jesus. comments. Yeah. It's these comments, they, like they stay with you because it's othering because do. when you're a kid, all you want to do is fit in. So when people are constantly poking and prodding and trying to make you feel like you don't belong, you remember that and that sticks with you. And so I think it's important for white parents to recognize that and to teach their kids that not that everybody's the same, mm-hmm. but that everybody's different and that's great. Yes. As a basic place to start our differences, you know, are, are actually what make us wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that, and like, that seems so like saccharine, mm-hmm. but it's also true. Like, and it's just, mm-hmm. we've lost, like that's been lost along the way because, you know, power dynamics and mm-hmm. just the way that our world is built. Well, yeah. like our world here, yeah, where we live is built for some people to succeed and other people to fail at yep. all costs. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually think like that's a lovely place to start. But when I think about like allyship and like parent, like parenting from like an allyship perspective and wanting to ensure that kids that we raise also, you know, like are moving through the world with an anti-racism perspective. Mm -hmm. It's also important that we take the next step about then, okay, like that is true. But what can happen is that there are systems in the world that we live in that are not fair. And this oh, is for sure. what that looks and like. That's the thing. We teach our kids about fairness, right? Yes. So like, why can't this be part of that lesson on fairness? Totally. And we've had a lot of folks um, in their questions coming into this episode, such good questions, but like lots of uh, theming around like, how do I talk about such an um, like abstract's not the right word, but like, how do I talk with a really little kid about anti-racism when they don't have context, when they don't have, you know, like, they don't know what structural racism is. They don't know what, like, they don't know what power structures and dynamics like that are. And I think that's a fair question, but I think that there's two things that come to mind for me. First of all, we know the science is clear that kids see difference very early on. That's Mm -hmm. not colorblind parenting. I think there's like study that said it as early as 18 months. Yep. I think you're right. There's been a couple that have like, but the point being they, they see difference because it's apparent mm-hmm. and difference is only bad if it is framed as negative, right? Yes. Like we only as pe- pe- kids growing up are able to assert meaning onto something when it's been implied. It just is what it is otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I think like what happens with like the colorblind perspective is that like by not acknowledging difference, there's like a unintended implication of like different is bad. Yeah. So there's that, but then, um, yeah, like kids deeply as little as verbal, right? Like, or even pre-verbal understand fair. Yes. Like what feels fair. And so for our folks that are asking like, where do we, how do I start a conversation about um, you don't necessarily at two or three need to be using like language of anti-racism, but really embedding like discussions around fairness um, and that like sometimes things are not fair. And what does that like, you know, what does that look like mm-hmm. um, and name it? And then also when when we talk about that, like some people are not treated fairly and here are some of the reasons why. Yeah. It's okay that that also feels really bad to hear. Yeah. And it kind of should. <laughs> exactly. It I feels, mean, it feels bad to be on the receiving end of. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, something, I think everybody has this instinct to not cause kids discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for kids that are growing up with pri- visible privilege, so like white kids, it's okay for them to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't mean that um, we don't give some space 
to talk about those feelings. Mm-hmm. Like this is also about like emotional literacy and emotional skill building. That what does it feel like, you know, when I tell you that like some people aren't treated fairly? Like tell yeah. me about what that feels like. Yep. It's okay. And with the right folks, right? Like that's not something that like necessarily I want their little friend of color to have to like, you know, shoulder that that feels bad for you, little white child, right? That's a space in your family where you can be having that discussion. Yes. And I think that will come up a bit later as well. But just the idea of uh, people in BIPOC community being asked to do the heavy lifting for the emotions that are coming up among people who are outside of the BIPOC community now that everyone has a heightened awareness and is ready and willing to learn. But we got a lot going on. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what is it like for you, like specifically when you talk to, like having to talk to white people about race? It used to be incredibly uncomfortable for me. And I used to kind of avoid it at all costs. Cause again, that was like a way of, of othering myself. But now I just don't see that as an option and I don't want it to be an option because like I said, I'm happy that I'm black. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's not something that I want to change. What I want to change is a response to my blackness. And yeah. so I, I'm, it's exhausting sometimes mm-hmm. to be responsible or to have people think I should be responsible for their anti-racism education. Mm-hmm. I'm not a teacher, but I've also been willing to step into the role if that's what it takes. Because again, I know this just seems redundant, but this is a parenting podcast. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm doing this for my son. I'm doing this for me, absolutely. But I'm also doing it for my son. If I can do anything to make his journey a little bit smoother, a little bit easier, a little bit less fraught and scary yeah. and terrifying, just based on him being black, Mm -hmm. then I will do what I need to do. So if I need to have those tough conversations, if I need to hit Google and find resources and then forward those resources to other people who also have access to Google, then (laughs) I will like, I'll do it. And you know, like that's like me being a little bit sarcastic, but like I'm, I'm going to do it. I will do whatever I need to do to make things better for my son, to make things better for other people's kids too, because it's a global community. Yes. The way we live now, nobody is isolated in their own little pod. No. We are a global community. And like, it just like, it seems so like my, <laughs> my natural tendency is to kind of joke and laugh it off because it just seems so cheesy to be like, you know, like yeah. we are the world or whatever, <laughs> heal the, like whatever. Yeah. But like, it's a global community and I want my son to feel safe and I want the world to be better for him. I want him to be able to travel wherever he wants without having to pick destinations based on like, where's the Mm -hmm. least racist place. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, people in community who are, who are not people of color need to decide this is this links back to performative allyship right Mm -hmm. it's like if it is important enough to you you do the work you get on google you search i know we all i get it we all have i'm guilty of this too i just want to say that i should start with that life is busy a million things are in the way of like taking the time to do that but it's just like anything it's about prioritizing if it matters Mm -hmm then take take the time to take that online seminar. Take the time to, or even invest, if it's possible for you, the resources into that Patreon account that, you know, has great, great stuff to offer and is like curating for you. Like, yeah, it's just about prioritizing. And, and, and it's, this isn't about shame and guilt and blame by any means. Like we, you know, we all have our things that get in the way. Mm-hmm. But you can make it also like fear. Fear is a way, you know, it stops people from starting because of fear of making a mistake, fear of yeah. putting the wrong foot forward. And then so it's just like fear can be crippling. But in the same way, I understand that. You also have to always remember that people in the BIPOC community don't have the option. Like mm-hmm. fear, we don't get to be crippled by our fear because then we would never get to do anything because there are all these institutions mm-hmm. and things put in place to keep us from moving forward. And so we can't, like, we don't get to let fear stop us. We don't get to let fear be the reason that we don't do something because like essentially yeah. we're living our lives in fear because yeah. 
we're told all the time that we're not enough or we're less than or we can't do this because of what we look like or we can't go there because of what we look like or mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a lot. And so I just, yeah, you're defining white privilege though, right? It's, it's a privilege to not have to make, do that Google search because it's not in your daily purview or whatever. Okay. So you brought up the term white privilege. Yeah. Let's do I know it. that you have. <laughs> let's go Perhaps there. I was even nudging us into that direction. <laughs> so, okay. What are your thoughts on the term itself, on the term white privilege? And then as a follow-up, do you think it's the term or the concept that makes a lot of white people feel defensive about it? My thoughts on the term is that it is historically accurate. Okay. Um, and I think that just immediately I can kind of start to bleed into the second part of that question. The term accounts for like the history of global empire, right? Like it's, it's an accurate depiction of how like colonization and empire comes to exist in our world through a dogma of, you know, a certain, you know, group of people believing that because they were who they were that they had a a god-given right to conquer other people in other places and you know that allowed that uh, that idea of like something that is different than us being less than allowed for that to happen in a way because it's a lot easier to like you know steal land and people when you can dehumanize right because something Mm -hmm. is different than you so i i'm perfectly comfortable with the term I think it's accurate and I think it describes the, uh, the, what's the word, the legacy of that system of exploration, I guess for exploration is not the right term, but that system of exploitation in the world we live in. There's no denying that history. It exists. It's what happened. And so I think that it, you know, is important to reckon with that history and its legacy and where it lives in our current circumstance and in the world we live in. As far as like people's sort of objection to it, I think it's, I think it's about not being able to understand it as a structural legacy and feeling like it's personal, right? Back that it's like, personal. yeah, that it's about you and you're bad and everything that you've ever experienced as a hardship is irrelevant. You have white privilege. That's just a willful ignorance about what the term is attempting to articulate i think that like people are smart and when they want to understand and when they're able to take ego and person person uh personalizing out of it Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to reckon with but you know we are who we are so often for folks that's really tough like it's hard to feel like you know you're being invalidated somehow by the fact that you have um, a certain kind of privilege in the world right so I think that's step one like for white folks is just like it's not negotiable like that exists okay. and that is something that affects what you've had that your color of your skin it has never been a reason that you've been denied access to anything yes and I think that like that's the crux of it right mm-hmm. but I think people lose sight of what that means and like you said think it means that people think that everything's been smooth, easy sailing. Totally. Easy totally. breezy. Yeah, that's not what it means. It means that there are large, bigger than you person, like white person, structures at play that have created circumstances that just are, and they will have an impact on how you move through the world. That doesn't mean that you haven't struggled. That doesn't mean that um, other kinds of oppression haven't been part of your life, mm-hmm. uh, but it means that this kind hasn't been. And it is so deeply entrenched with, um, you know, just like the history of culture um, mm-hmm. and how culture spreads across the ocean and, you know, like in these um, sort of socio-historical ways that it's just, it's like not, it's like being a flat earther in a way. Like it, it is what it is. Like the history speaks for itself and it has mm-hmm. a legacy where we live now. Okay. So I know how I'm going to talk to my son about white privilege. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, it will come up because as I mentioned, he's mixed race. So his father is white. I'm black. Mm -hmm. And so you just even inherently kind of in the different ways that maybe his father and I will be treated in different situations and just Mm -hmm. educating. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting for my son to reconcile that because mm-hmm. I think it's whatever we can get into this another time. But when you're mixed race and then the world decides that you are 
one race Mm -hmm. and they will just treat you as such. But even though, you know, half of your family looks one way and half your family looks another way, that's a whole other (laughs) podcast. Another episode. That's part three. (laughs) (laughs) That's like an entire, just like podcast in, in and of itself. But yeah, so I like will will be talking to him about white privilege as well as talking about uh, what it means in this world to be black and what it means to just be himself as well mm-hmm. and just have that always be at the forefront because he needs to have room to be who he is and not have these structures dictate everything to him. He needs to be able to have that space to be his own person. But that's a long way of me saying, what are you going to talk to your kids about when you mm-hmm. talk about white privilege? Well, if, if you're going to talk to them about it at all. Yeah. Imagine I was like, no, I don't think it's important. Um, I'm just kidding, obviously. But it's hard, right? No, I, um, I'm i really living in this um, place of trying to model that depersonalization. Like, um, I'm really glad you asked that question because I think this is something that a lot of folks struggle with. And like, mm-hmm. again, it comes back to like, oh, we don't want our kids to feel, have bad feelings. Um, also, if you haven't necessarily reconciled with the thought, with the term yourself or with the concept okay. yourself, and then also just, yeah, not wanting your kids to have bad feelings, but also, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know. That's, I don't understand. So yeah. I think, yeah. I know. I, I struggle to understand it too, because I mean, I, I think that what people need to do, and like, I'm no, I'm just, this is just from my personal perspective is talk about these things like relatively frankly like I have a very I mean this is like these are conversations that are meant to be scaffolded as kids develop right so if you're not a teaching a person who's in education that really means like <laughs> you build a foundation or construction that, yes or construction yes the, the OG scaffold use um, but like you know like and, and this doesn't mean that if you haven't done this and you now have a 10 year old that you can't start but like these are conversations that you can have in a certain way when kids are really small and then you're able to build context onto those conversations. So like maybe if we're really small and we're talking about um, fairness and like starting to introduce the idea that there are certain things that um, in our world, like sometimes people get treated unfairly because of things about who they are and like, how does that feel? That doesn't feel good. That's yucky. I don't like that. That's mm-hmm. a great place to start. But then as your as kids get older, I think it is actually important to start using the language of anti-oppression, like dialogue, like talk about introducing the term of this, there's this idea of white privilege and here's where it comes from. And it doesn't, it, here's what people believe to be true at one point in history and like talk, like link into those things that maybe your kid is even interested in. If they like history, if they like um, stories and like learning about the world, like my kid, my eight, my eight year old, like that's, that's big for him. Like he can really dig into like a good, like narrative about history. So for him, we talk about the history of colonialism and like, we're building on conversations that we had when he was much younger about like fairness and equity, like, and Mm -hmm. sort of like have that foundation, but now let's add some siding to that, right? Like let's scaffold and add (laughs) some more context to how he understands that. And, um, like I do, we do speak pretty frankly with, and we, we plan to with our youngest as well, but with, especially with our older child about this is, you're wonderful. You're, you have so many good ideas. You're mm-hmm. a wonderful person and that's never to be diminished, mm-hmm. but you will sometimes move through the world in an easier way than somebody else because mm-hmm. of who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's not to make you feel bad. You haven't done anything wrong. That's just because we, we live in this system that has done has done, has some bad ideas. So Ooh, we, okay. We're I starting like we're starting to talk about like responsibility a lot with our older child. So now we have all this context, like at least on a developmentally appropriate level mm-hmm. of like these this is how things can be and this is how some people experience um, you know, forms of discrimination or oppression. Um, here's like where you kind of sit in it. Mm-hmm. What can you do? Like, Mm -hmm. so that the conversation isn't about guilt and shame and blame and feeling hopeless. It's like, no, like you haven't done anything wrong. You're just as much a part of this system that you didn't have control over as anybody else. But like, this is who you are. What can you do with that? Yeah. 
Yeah. How can you take that and make, make that something that's really powerful in a really important way? So how do you make room for other people? How do you pull people up with you where you live and where you sit? See, I like that. How do you pull people up with you? You don't have to go down, but you do need to pull people up. And sometimes that's going to mean getting out of the way also. So mm-hmm. like my son is very talkative. He <laughs> thinks that he um, has lots of good ideas and he does. And he takes up lots. He just, because of who he is inherently, mm-hmm. he takes up lots of space in a room. Mm-hmm. He talks a lot. He has lots to say. He talks over other people. So you know what? In recognizing that and knowing what his identity in, is in the world, like we got to check that shit. You need to wait. It's not your turn to speak. What you have to say is very important, but so-and-so was talking. Yes. So yeah. just like even those and like that's micro another behaviors. Thing, right? mm-hmm. Like framing it as turn-taking. Yeah. You know, so like the, idea, the concepts of fairness and turn-taking. Yeah. Those are things that we teach our kids anyway. And mm-hmm. so like they're applicable to also talking about race and talking about privilege. And it doesn't all necessarily like anti-racism education doesn't have to all be about the terminology. No. It's about the all. concepts. Yeah. It's about the core values, right? Yes. Which are equity, equity, breaking that out into this idea of turn-taking into like making space for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these different ideas that contribute to this idea of equity and recognizing your position. It's like you little kids are, people don't also give them enough credit. Like they're smarter than people think. Like they can understand when we talk about your position in that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my kid's a genius, but no yeah. big deal. Moving yeah. on. I'm pretty sure he is too. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's okay to name what, name it for what it is. Like mm-hmm. whether you're saying racist or, I mean, I, I use that language cause that's our mm-hmm. habit, but it's unfair and it's unjust. Like however you're talking about that, it's about talking about the core, the core of what's happening there. Yeah. Finding a way to, I think also this is like crucial. And I think for adult, this, anything we talk about for kids, I'm like adults also applies. Yeah. Like yep. if you're talking, and it, to does, adults, it does though, it does, it totally does. Like, um, I think that no one is able to learn effectively when they are loaded up with the baggage of shame and guilt. Yes. So um, it's not, it's a not about that. Right. And yeah. so I think maybe that's but where depersonalizing also, helps. Yes. Yeah. Depersonalizing helps, but also like depersonalizing to get away from the feelings of shame and guilt. But mm-hmm. also I think depersonalizing when somebody calls you out on the behavior that you've done that was yes. not appropriate. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Or that was like, you know, like if you say something racist mm-hmm. and somebody calls you out on it, t- immediately getting defensive doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anyone to move forward. And it also makes it about you as opposed to what you did and how it made the other person feel. Yeah, absolutely. You're, it's, this, it, folks have a really bad habit of like recentering themselves as the victim somehow in an interaction like that. Like I've, I've experienced that with friends, um, Mm -hmm. where suddenly it becomes more about proving that you're not racist as opposed (laughs) to admitting that you said something that was racist and learning from it and moving on. Cause nobody's trying to keep you stuck in a moment. Ooh, you two song was a YouTube. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Can't get out of it. Shout out to Phoebe Robinson, who's a huge YouTube fan. Yeah, <laughs> Bono for life. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it's just sort of like, it's those sort of things where like, you know, when we as the adult can reckon with negative or uncomfortable emotions, then we're able to teach our kids to do the same, whether mm-hmm. it's through modeling, whether it's through communication. Totally. And so I just, yeah, I think it's important to, like you've been saying, to sit in it. Yeah. And that's, and it's okay to sometimes not feel, it's okay to not, it is okay to not always be okay. Right. Yes. And like, which is also apparently the name of a Korean drama on Netflix. That's supposed ooh. to be really good. If people shout out to that. <laughs> it's have to okay dig in. to not be okay. I believe. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's yeah, what it's called. I think that like that, that also lends itself to a whole bunch of other like emotional uh, capacity learning, like, or like emotional literacy that like, oh, you can sit in something that's uncomfortable and you're going to be okay. It's resiliency mm-hmm. building. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like leaning on the place of um, hope and possibility is big too, for me. Like if I see that it's like, like really like that's it is a lot you know what it's it's a it is a it's a shit show it's a hard world and this stuff has big impacts on us as adults and of course it's going to have um feeling impacts on our kids but i think there's a lot of potential in then 
taking those feelings and like flipping to a place of motivation. So like you are a young person in the world who is learning all kinds of things that people before you didn't learn when they were small. Mm -hmm. So this is a powerful moment. This is a powerful movement to be a part of. This can change. And then it's also, so then like from that perspective, then from the perspective of people raising BIPOC children, Mm -hmm. then it's also about um, being like, okay, maybe you'll be able to step back and not be so vigilant because you'll have allies who will step up for you. Maybe you don't Mm -hmm. have to always... Mm-hmm. be so hyper aware and needing to fend for yourself it's about mm-hmm. creating a team yeah absolutely. it's about like having people who have your back so that you're not always out there just like just fighting fighting for really yeah. everything that you get yeah absolutely and that's it right that's that's the that is like the gaining momentum mantra ultimately is how do we do this together yeah how do we make it so that your son doesn't have to go to battle but like my son goes to battle um you know has already been at battle on his behalf yeah because like hopefully like the goal so there will be fewer and fewer battles that need to be fought Mm -hmm. so that people can just be and again it sounds so Mm pollyanna-ish i believe that's the right metaphor yeah totally um but it's it's true we just we all want our kids to grow up in the better in the better world than the world that we grew up in our parents wanted that for us their parents wanted that for them we want that for our kids totally and i think like that's never meant to be a burn to like the generation prior of parents or otherwise. It's really just like that stuff has to happen to get us here. And now we're well, here. And that's, that's what parenting is, right? Yeah. You want like, no matter how good you've had it, mm-hmm. you always want your kids to have better than what you had. Oh, you know what? I'll know that like we did this right when our kids at in, when they become adults are able to recognize where we fucked it up and can then like do better than we did. Yeah. Because again, nobody's perfect. There will always be something that can be a little bit better than what it is now. Absolutely. Well, I think that might be a great place for us to take a pause and we'll come right back. back <laughs> from going nowhere um yeah live so from the just, bathroom <laughs> we just wanted to end this discussion with talking about some steps for where do we go from here what are individual steps what are individual commitments and maybe share some resources mm-hmm So I just want to personally reiterate that I am a black woman. And by virtue of that, I've lived and I'm living a black experience. But my experience is not every black person's experience because black people are not a monolith. I am who I am. My son is who he is. Every every black person is an individual. And I think that's why it's so important that we have diversity across households so that when one member of a minority group speaks up they don't have to speak on behalf of all members of that group so Mm -hmm. if you diversify the representation in the books in the tv shows in the movies in the food in the music across like all these different materials and mediums that you consume with your children then that makes it less pressure on each black person on each bipoc person so that we can just be who we are we don't have to be exceptional we don't have to be ambassadors Mm -hmm. for our race we just get to be Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think on my end, and when I'm thinking about just sort of like next steps personally, it's it's a lot of like more of the same of what we've already been talking about, but just doing, continuing to learn and listen and then translate that into my parenting and modeling also for my kids, like making those mistakes and sitting in discomfort, you know, like being willing to be in a sticky spot or have a sticky conversation. Um, I think those are things that I want to continue to do better myself so that I'm modeling that for my own kids because those are skills. At the end of the day, these are skills that we learn and they can be learned. And it comes from both like active like practice and learning, but also like what we are observing as little people. So what are the people around us doing and modeling for mm-hmm. us? So that's that's big in our household and that's big for me. I also think that um, there's a big part of this conversation we can't even get into right now because of time, but this we have um, power and we have the power to also change institutions that aren't working for everybody. 
Um, and when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about schools specifically. Um, we've yes. seen like movement in schools around, you know, more purposeful integration of anti-racism, intentional in education. So whether that's like some of the stuff that has been integrated coming out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm -hmm. around like learning more purposefully about the Indigenous experience, but mm -hmm. um, that probably we can be advocating and doing better at as well. Mm -hmm. And also making sure that if it matters to us as parents that we're advocating for those things to be happening in our schools yes. so what are what are kids learning where are they spending time um, talking about equity and justice and uh, when something doesn't feel like it's been designed for everybody in a fair and equitable way being an ally means stepping up and articulating that even if it means that you have to be unlikable Yes, I like that idea too, because my son's not in school yet, but when he gets there, I would love for him to learn about different experiences of people within the BIPOC community outside of just the ways in which they've been oppressed. That's important to learn too, but I would yeah. also like him to learn about the successes and like the inventions and the just different contributions to society that they, that kids don't currently learn about and I just I want him to have a well-rounded education really is all I want for my kid yeah and it includes all of those things and I think when we talk about mobilizing white privilege for good there's like lots of um if squeaky wheels get grease right so if white parents mm -hmm. step up and are and argue and demand that those are things that they want their kids to learn too mm -hmm. um that that moves the needle and it's like unfortunate that that's what it requires but that's where you mobilize your position in the world in order yeah. to like make that happen or yeah. help make that happen or ele elevate other voices um, in order to make that happen. So I think that's a big part of moving forward. Um, there's other institutions we could talk about, but school is just such a fundamental place for where our kids spend their time. Yeah. And yeah, all of our kids will spend some time in school at some point, mm -hmm. whether that's homeschool or in a public school, a private school. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think the bigger, another, um, just thing that I think requires reiterating in our taking away and moving forward is we're all going to make mistakes. Yes. And every damn day, every damn day. And really work hard. I challenge everyone to work hard to integrate a practice of stop, listen, and learn. So um, there's a really great like acronym and it's a claim and I'm not going to break it down right now, but it's a way of taking feedback when you've fucked up and mm -hmm. <clears throat> however well-intentioned. Um, yeah, I'd love to challenge everyone to practice that and see where it gets you even in your own allyship and your own practice with your kids and um, in being able to model that. So speaking of that, we do have lots of other resources. And so that's one that I can put up on our socials, AKA our yes. Instagram. Um, we will also be putting up a bunch of other really um, wonderful anti-racism parenting resources. Mm -hmm. And just uh, also um, different Instagram accounts and websites that focus on diverse reading materials too. If mm -hmm. you're not sure where to start for where to find different um media to engage in with your children then we we got you guys yeah totally we're gonna put all that stuff up we're gonna um we start um a highlight on our instagram that has um resources for this kind of education and we'll continue to do that as we bring up new topics we'll try to curate stuff and um if you have recommendations that we maybe have missed or that we we haven't seen please send us that stuff. DM us or send us an email. We, again, we're really like seeking for this to be a community where we interact and we um, learn from you as much as you can take from us. Yeah. And I also just want to say to our listeners from the BIPOC community, we see you, we hear you, and we want to keep hearing from you. And we've got you guys. We're in this together. Absolutely. So did you have one thing that you wanted to read before we wrapped up? The, yeah, a quote that you a like? Quote. Yeah. So I mentioned off the top that I have been listening to Jamel Hill is Unbothered a podcast. And so from her episode with Regina King, Jamel said, don't be racist. Don't enable racism. Don't be silent about racism. And sometimes it really is that simple, guys. I know. It's like simple steps. Simple, but hard, but you can do it. We did it. We we just, we made it through this conversation and it was a wonderful one. We're um, still friends. We're st we, we still love each other. <laughs> and it's deep breath for everybody. But to quote Glennon Doyle, we can do hard things. We just have to decide that they're worthwhile.
like we do each episode, we want to take a minute to just pause for momentum, and I'm going to pass it over to Abby. Thanks, Meg. So this week, I'm going to read a poem that I wrote at the beginning of June, and it is called A Credit Shy. I have always been good at math, but I just can't figure out what is the equation that will turn less than into equal to? Solving for X, plugging in variables for Y. Why is there a negative value placed on Black lives? We are three-dimensional human beings worthy of addition. I have always been good at music, but I just can't figure out what are the notes that will create a movement of racial harmony? A chord from allies, a step down from white privilege. Why are black artists treated an octave lower than their work? Take a rest from devaluation, crescendo black artist appreciation. I have always been good at science, but I just can't figure out what is the mix of compounds to achieve an anti-racism reaction? Removing an acid, strengthening a base. Why is it that fatal observations have not yet resulted in a solution? The equality barometer needs to be recalibrated if we are to survive. I have always been good at history, but I just can't figure out what are the archives that will change the social contract, sifting through artifacts, studying each era. Why aren't the racist norms of yesterday relics of the past? True democracy means creating a dynasty of equality. I have always been good at language arts, but I just can't figure out what is the punctuation that will make it clear that Black Lives Matter? A period? Black Lives Matter. An exclamation? Black Lives Matter. Why are the actions of anti-racism treated with a passive voice? Actively stop being racist, admit to having privilege, and call out racism. Math, music, science, history, language arts. What is the education that will teach these lessons to adults? Some elementary here, some middle school there. Why do we treat these subjects like they're just for children? It is clear so many adults still have much to learn. If you like what you just heard, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you find podcasts. Gaining Momentum is written, produced, and edited by Abby and Megan. With music by Evan Dysart. And podcast art by Catherine Katja. And a special thank you to our podcast mentor, Belle, from the podcast, Thirst World Problems. Thanks, Belle. Thanks, Belle. And if you want to find any more info on any of their work, please check out the links in our podcast description.